Garden Church podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to use that if I need it. Thank you, Faith. If your life was a story, what kind of story would it be? Would it be an adventure story? An adventure story? Would it be a, a drama? Some of us. Dramatic, maybe. Would it be a love story? Who would be the main characters? If you would look at your life, what kind of story, what kind of story is your life telling? Looking at your relationships, your job, just whatever occupies your mind throughout the day and weeks or whatever it is that we endure throughout the seasons of life. Do you ever feel like there's more? That you're living this particular life, which is your life, and, and you feel like there's a different kind of life you want, and it's over here. And the distance between here and there is the, dis, the, di, uh, the, the greater the dis, disappointment. Excuse me. So the greater the distance between... Your life that you are living and the life you want is the greater the disappointment. Do you ever have that experience? Or that something inside of you is saying that you were built for greatness, but you don't feel that. The story you're living is anything other than that. Does anyone else struggle here with those things like I do? I've been thinking about um, that lately because I've been having a lot of conversations with friends and people that I walk with in the garden um, and outside, friends that, that don't know Jesus. And I just realized that so many of us are living these lives that are um, they're on autopilot. They're not the lives we want. And we're distracted. And we're, we're so busy, we don't know what to do with ourselves. We are, we are tired and anxious we're exhausted. We're filling, we're, we're filling ourselves with emptiness. We entertain ourselves to death and we long. There's this longing inside of us for something more. And I, I wonder if we are missing out on something really, really great in life. I wonder if we're missing out on something that's magnificent, something that's significant and amazing. I wonder if the lives we really want, I wonder if... This is what I'm wondering. As you can tell, I'm figuring out as I go. I'm wondering if the life that Jesus is calling us into, if our life is getting in the way of the life Jesus is calling us into. This morning, I'm going to continue a series in the book of Acts. And there are a bunch of new people visiting. So we're in a, 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 a series called Acts Empowered for Life. And we're looking at the stories throughout the book of Acts of how uh, God kind of continues the m- mission of Jesus through ordinary people. And see, uh, Acts is written by a guy named Luke. And Luke writes the Gospel of Luke. And that's part one. And part two is Acts. And it's the continuation of the first part, which is the story of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and ministry. And Acts is the continuation of his ministry through everyday, ordinary people doing everyday, ordinary things, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and significant thing and extraordinary things happen. And so over the last few weeks, we've been um, kind of jumping around the first few chapters of this book. But I want to go back to the, the chapter 1 and, and then go to chapter 6 and 8, if you will. So if you have a Bible, um, can I just see the Bibles if you have your Bible here? And if I see a phone, put it down. Um, just kidding. There's some Bibles up here in the front. Um, 
This is, uh, these are, 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 this is worth studying and reading. And um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this. It says, this is, if you ever wonder what the mission of the church is, this is it. It says this. Uh, this is Jesus talking to the church, or ch- talking to the, his followers. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, you're going to be witnesses to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the, the life force, the thing that created all things, the breath of God, the, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to come on you as followers and give you power to witness. Now remember, witness is to allow our lives, to transform our lives, to point to Jesus. That it's not just about proclaiming Jesus with our, our words and mouths or our, our ideas and thoughts. It's about living a life that points people to, in the right direction. And that he wants to transform us to do that. And, and Jesus says Jerusalem, which is like hometown. Judea and Samaria, which would be the places you don't want to go. That this, this thing that's starting through the power of God is, is going to be a movement. And it's going to spread to the places that you don't want it to go, including Samaria. Remember what we talked about with Samaria? It's, they, they were hated by the Jews. It was, it was like the Bloods and the Crips or KKK and Black Panthers. I mean, it was, that, it was beyond that. They, the, the word Samaritan was a derogatory word to the Jewish member. And so you have, you have um, Samaria and then eventually to the ends of the earth. This, this thing's just going to be unstoppable. But over the last few weeks, we looked how the enemy wants to stop the movement of God. That anytime God does something new, it's always opposed. And that's true for your life. Anytime God begins to do something new, you will experience opposition most of the time. And I wonder if some of us that haven't had that experience, are we living a life worthy of opposition? And so we saw that the Satan or, or Lucifer or the devil or the cosmic powers that are in work, at work, in the world against God's way of life, his kingdom. There are supernatural things that are opposing God's way of life. Remember, that's a biblical worldview. In order to have a biblical worldview, we need to have a supernatural worldview. Are you with me? And so Satan begins by threatening the church, and then he begins to uh, persecute the church. He tries to stop it from force from the outside, and then he does something even uh, far worse, which is he begins to plant seeds in hearts of individuals within the church that grow into roots of deception and lies. And basically, uh, he, begins to, he tries to destroy the church from within through something called hypocrisy, which we define as saying one thing and doing another, that the church will lose its prophetic witness in the world when it says one thing and does another. And when I say church, if you're new to this, I'm not talking to the 501c3 institutions, logos, and branding like the garden. I'm referring to all of us that have said yes to Jesus and participate in a local church. That all of us um, are... are at, the enemy wants to plant seeds and, and lies in our hearts that will corrupt us from the inside. You with me? And then we're going to look at another way that the enemy begins to work against the church. And it's, it's kind of subtle, but, the, but Luke records this in Acts chapter 6. Um, so if you have a Bible, go with me to Acts 6. Um, we're, going to, we're going to look at what happened um, in the early church when they face a problem. So it says this, verse 1, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered at all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, 
Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Perminius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So Acts 6 tells us a story. There's a new crisis, and that's this, this distraction and busyness. The apostles are, are, are working hard to do something really, really good, but it wasn't what Jesus asked them to do. How many of you um, have been distracted with really good things? So I'm wondering, as we look at this text, what, what happens is the church is growing, and that's, that's a great thing, but a problem begins to develop when the Hellenistic Jews, which were, uh, were widows who um, were, spoke Greek, probably lived outside of Jerusalem, and didn't have family to care for them if they were widowed. Um, they spoke a different language than the Hebraic Jews, which uh, they spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. They probably had family local in Jerusalem. And what's happening is these two different cultures are clashing within a local church. And some widows are being overlooked for the daily distribution of food. A couple of observations. By chapter 6, people were giving to those that didn't have enough. One observation is the church saw it fit to care for the poor. The church saw it fit to care for those that didn't have enough within its community. So they gave to the apostles and the apostles distributed to those who had needs. And so that's what we see happening. But then it says that the the widows begin to complain and that translates to grumble or uh, gossip to one another. So it becomes a problem. And the problem is the apostles are passing out food to those that don't have enough food, which is a really, really good task. Would you agree? But they were called to lead this growing movement through preaching and prayer. And so they recognize the problem and they come up with a solution. The solution isn't to say, hey guys, we're too good for the administrative task of setting up and tearing down or doing kids ministry or making coffee in the morning. That's not what they said. They said it wouldn't be okay. It's not right for us to neglect the thing that Jesus asked us to do. We need some help. Be church. Show up, participate, get involved. Are you with me? Okay, we're not talking about money today, so let's like lighten up a little bit. Last week was a little... <laughs> we're just talking about what it means to be church and what it means to follow Jesus and what kind of story our lives are telling when we say we follow Jesus but live other lives. So, so anyway, so they say it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. They have a sophisticated logistical administrative problem. How many of you know that that exists in the world? How many of you know that it exists in the church, that as the church grows, some of us here have expectations that we should do certain things and do it really well. And the way your other church did it was a lot better than the way we do it. Any of you sent those emails to me lately? <laughs> Calling you out. And so they say, here's the solution. We're going to raise up some men, seven men, and here are the qualifications for leadership in the church. Full of the spirit and wisdom. They're, they're looking for a particular person that has a particular life. A, pic, a particular life that shows character. That shows faith in God, trust in God, fruit in their lives, gifts in their lives. They're looking for people, if you're full of the Spirit, you're not self-focused, you're other-focused. 
You move from consumer to missional. And they look for these leaders, and, and, and they, what they're not doing is saying, and I just love it, they're not putting on their website, hey, we need an administrative assistant who's really good at making casseroles, who knows how to do line organization, and, and that can uh, type 200 words a minute, and they know Google documents, and they're really good at Excel spreadsheets. They're not looking for the task. They're looking for the hearts. I mean, this, this is significant. This is a turning point in the book of Acts. This is a, a turning point in the book of Acts. When there's, there's a 12 apostles and there's too much work for them to do, they need to delegate some of the ministry, not because they're over it or bigger than it, but because God's called them to something specific. And they need other men and women who are full of character, full of the Spirit, full of passion, full of Jesus, to continue to do what they were doing, which was a simple administrative task. You with me? And so they, they raised up seven dudes to do it. And uh, seven dudes full of the spirit and wisdom to, to continue to do what they were doing. I just wonder, I mean, I just wonder if you were sitting in that church, would you say, well, I'm not called to complaining widows. How many of you have been called to complaining wind- widows, really? Or I, I, don't, I don't feel like that fits my personality type. I don't have time to serve nagging, Hellenized Jews. I just, I, if I was there, I'd be, no, I want to I preach. I want to pray for people. I want to I do the stuff that puts me in the spotlight. I'm just being honest. I want to get, get significance. I want people to know me. I want to be famous. I want to be marked by something else, not passing out food to widows who complain. I mean, come on. But they, they picked seven guys full of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't about, you know, like guys like Stephen. It wasn't about fi- uh, filling his calling to his life. It was about filling, filling Jesus' calling to his bride. Stephen and Philip, they weren't looking at their lives saying, how can this task fill my life? They were looking at Jesus and saying, how can I fill his bride? How can I serve his bride? It's not about me. My life isn't about me. It's about him. He bought my life on the cross. My life is now his for his use. So Stephen is a character in here. I want to look at Stephen and a couple other names. But I just love that they list these guys' names. These are the guys that are listed as the first people to, to kind of take on leadership in the church outside of the apostles. Seven guys, Stephen and, and Philip and Prochorus and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas. These, these guys. Now, Stephen, his name means crown. And some translations say his name means victory. Crown and victory. And Stephen's just this, we'll give him a title. He's a food distributor in the church, a potluck associate. Potluck or picnic associate, right? Potluck associate to the complaining Jews. Pollock associate to the complaining widows. I just, I mean, it can't get any lower on the, on the, the totem pole. Are you with me? And Stephen is, is this guy who, who, who's passing out food to widows. And then look at verse 8 of chapter 6. It says, it, it kind of flips, it, it takes a turn. It says, now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Time out. 
Stephen is, is serving as a volunteer in a church, and it doesn't show him anywhere else until chapter 6. And within a few verses, now this Pollock associate is full of God's grace and power, performing wonders and signs among the people. Now, the story of Stephen is quite fascinating because it continues. And his life is, is beginning to take on some, something else because he begins to do all sorts of miraculous things as a Pollock associate, right? And he's doing these things, and people begin to oppose him. The religious establishment begins to work against him. They drag him into the court. He stands before the Sanhedrin court, the Jewish uh, Supreme Court. They're the PhDs of the Jewish religion. They are keeping the Jewish community from heresy. And he stands there and proclaims the gospel. He's an uneducated Jewish peasant who's serving widows. And he trumps the the religious society people, the, the brightest minds in all of the land. They can't argue against him. He stands there and says, you murdered Jesus, but he's been raised from the dead. And they're so mad that they drag him out and they begin to stone him to death. In verse 59 of chapter 7, this is the story of Jesus, uh, sorry, of Stephen's death. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. The story of Stephen is a guy who gets in the book of Acts recorded as a man who died like Jesus. He's a man that said yes to passing out food to widows. And he becomes the first Christian martyr, a non-apostle, a guy who is a nobody, just a guy full of the spirit and wisdom, I guess, passing out food to strangers, organizing the potlucks, standing in front of the courts. And as he dies, he cries out, don't hold their sin against them, Jesus. What kind of story did Stephen tell with his life? Well, Luke wants you to know it's the same kind of story that he told with his death. It was one of faith. It was one of obedience. It was one that had nothing to do about him and everything to do about Jesus. What kind of story are you telling? What kind of story are you telling in your life? Don't tell Stephen that you don't have time to serve in the church. That you're above that. Don't tell Stephen that following Jesus doesn't cost anything in your life. Because it cost him his life. Passing out food to widows. The first Christian martyr. Remember, we're at, we're, we'll go back to Acts chapter 6. We're, we're dealing with the administrative crisis of a church. That, that the just distraction and busyness is going to keep the church from fulfilling its mission. That doing good can distract us from doing great things for Jesus. That the church needs to be focused and intentional with how it organizes. Because what happens next um, is significant. Verse 7, as a direct result of the apostles focusing on prayer and preaching the word, and the deacons or or, um, the the seven taking on this administrative task, it says in verse 7, the word of God spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, uh, the administrative solution had evangelistic implications. That when the church acts like the church, people want to know what's happening from the outside. 
that when the church shows up as the bride, people want to know who the groom is. That when the church organizes for the sake of mission, mission becomes the direct result. Are you with me? So what we see here is Luke, this is a a classic example of Luke kind of marking a significant chapter within the church. As the church begins to to do this, delegate the authority to other volunteer leaders, the, the, the evangelistic opportunity spreads. More disciples come to faith. More priests come to know Jesus. Those that are literally in the temple, they become followers of Jesus. And, and then, let's just go back for a second, because I want to talk about Philip, okay? Because another guy who's named here, but some of these names are great. We already know Peter, right? Peter means the rock. We met Barnabas last week. What does Barnabas mean? Do you remember? Son of encouragement. That's great. We have Stephen Crown. And then we have uh, Prochorus, right? Prochorus uh, means leader of the dance, which I have now taken on as my new name. Um, my hip-hop days are long gone. Um, Nicanor, Nicanor, excuse me, means victorious army. Timon means he who respects. Perminius means that which is permanent. Nicholas means people's victory. Look at these names. Crown, people's victory. The, uh, victorious army, leader of the dance, the rock. And then there's Philip, lover of ponies. <laughs> It means lover of horses. Like, what, what kind of name is that? Stephen Crown and Victor gets crucified, and you got the lover of ponies over here. But, but what kind of story? What kind of story will he be remembered for? What kind of life did Philip live? Well, what happens after Stephen gets crucified, or excuse me, gets stoned to death? Um, verse 1 of chapter 8 says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in, in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So up until this point, uh, the movement of God that's happening has stayed in Jerusalem. And the apostles um, stay in Jerusalem when, when persecution breaks out. And, and all the lay leaders, all the volunteers, the rest of the church and all the followers of, the, of Jesus, they just go to, they scatter they go to Judea and Samaria. And, and, and that's what happens. And so uh, what we see is ordinary people just go on and the apostles stay. But then we pick up again and we hear about Philip, the lover of ponies. It says in verse 4, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those that were scattered, they're uprooted from their lives. Think about it. I mean, their brothers and sisters are being dra- drugged places. They're being, they're being dragged down the streets. They're being stoned to death by mobs. And, and they scatter for fear of their lives. And while they go, think about the fear, the anxiety, what type of, what's happening to their faith as they're processing what's going on. They just share their faith as they go. Into these different places and then there's philip it says remember he's a potluck associate just serving some old ladies that complain philip went down to a city in samaria and proclaimed the messiah there now we just need to stop samaria we've already mentioned this it's it's hated by the jewish community these these you can't get any further outside of the of the jewish faith of the Jewish culture. The Samaritans were religious heretics. They were hated. They were despised. It was a derogatory word that you wouldn't use. It's the worst thing that Jesus is called in the Gospels, a Samaritan. 
He goes to that city. And it says he proclaimed the Messiah there. Now, proclaimed is not just sharing one's faith. The word is herald. He's, a, he, he's becoming a herald, which is like a messenger from a king. And if you think of a king that sends a messenger and, and blows a trumpet on a horse and announces some military victory somewhere or announces some, some new decree. And in this case, this case, the potluck associate announces the Messiah. He proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't have authority to do that, or does he? He doesn't have the expertise or the seminary education, or does he? And it goes on in chapter 8, and it says, He proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip, they saw the signs he performed. They all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Philip is just an ordinary guy who did ordinary things. But if you follow Jesus long enough, you recognize that sometimes extraordinary, being extraordinary is simply doing ordinary things for Jesus. Sometimes being extraordinary is simply doing ordinary things that Jesus asks you to do. What's Philip's story? He's just a volunteer in the church one second. And the next second he becomes a city evangelist. There's no record of him uh, uh, casting out demons before chapter 8. There's no record of him preaching in front of crowds before chapter 8. All they show us is that he was a, a leader who served those that didn't have enough food to eat. He took on the administrative task for the apostles. Philip could have been hiding out in fear. He could have been concerned about being stoned to death. He could have been longing to go back to Jerusalem where the real leaders were. He could have been overwhelmed by the fact that his buddy just died. Stephen, he was just killed through being stoned to death. He could have been busy planning all sorts of things, but instead he just did what Jesus did. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. He proclaimed the Messiah. He, He cast out demons. He healed the sick. And Luke records that great joy was in that city. What kind of story did Philip tell with his life? Do you think he was struggling with insecurity about whether or not this was his vocation and calling? Think about it. Do you think he was insecure about whether he felt, you know, wise enough or smart enough to talk about Jesus to the crowds in Samaria? Do you think he was worried about what people thought of him as he went? You think he was worried what, what their reactions would be to him based on what he wore or how he said things? If he, he had that many Twitter followers or whatever it was that he worried about. There's no record of, of any of that. You see, I think the secret is this. Philip, his story is this. He was a Christian. Period. Philip was a Christian. That's it. There's nothing else. He was a Christian. Christian means little Christ or like Christ. He was like Jesus. And he did what Jesus did. And for so many of us, we've complicated it. We've allowed all other stories to impact us being Christian. And for Philip, nothing else was greater in his life 
Nothing else to find him. And that's the thing about being a Christian is no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, Jesus still wants to fill you with power through his Holy Spirit to do what he did. He wants to free you from addiction and pain and your past so that you can live fully alive in him. He wants you to be Christian like him. Because your past doesn't define you. Your job doesn't define you. Your education doesn't define you. Your fear and insecurities don't define you. Your family history doesn't define you. Your pain, your personality type, that doesn't define you. Your depression and anxiety, that doesn't define you. Your relationships don't define you. Your money and stuff don't define you. Jesus defines you. But is that the story you're living? Is that the story we are living? See, I think Jesus wants to invite us to greatness. I think that thing inside of us that's saying there's more, that you're called to greater things, that's the Spirit of God inside of you. And He has. He's called you to great things. Jesus insists on your greatness. Do you know this? Greater things you will do than He. He calls you on to water, to walk. To move mountains with your faith. He's called you to greatness. And if you're looking for greatness, then you look at the potluck associates in the world. You look at those that are washing feet because that's how you define greatness. You define greatness by those that don't get say, that don't have a vote, that all they do is show up and they serve and then nobody notices them. Those are the great kings in the heaven. Those are the giants in heaven. If you want a life of greatness, then get on your knees and wash some feet. That's what Jesus did. What kind of life are you living? What kind of story are you telling? I just wonder how many of us are missing the life Jesus is calling us to because our lives are simply getting in the way. You aren't the main character in your life. Jesus is the main character. You can play a supporting role if you want. Because life is not about you. It's about Him. Paul was saying in Acts chapter 20, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I just invite you to open your eyes. When you look throughout the stories in the Bible, the lives that are lived for God, the adventure stories, the stories of risk and love and obedience, these are the great stories of wonder and miracles. And they're lived through ordinary men and women. Ordinary men and women that choose to allow Jesus to define their life. They live the Jesus story out more than they live my story out. I believe that God wants to release us into some great stories at the garden. I think we're here for a new season in the church world, in society and culture. I really believe it. I'm not speaking prophetically, but maybe I am. I believe there is a new season coming where the world is going to see Christians living as Christians again. Now, there, you, you're ha- it's happening in pockets around the world, but I believe that, that God is raising up a new generation to change culture and society. I believe this. I believe there are some of you here that are going to do some amazing things because you simply learned how to say yes to Jesus in the passing out of food to widows. 
And he takes you on a wild adventure. I wonder if some of us are missing the greatest ministry of bringing joy into situations. I love that Luke records this because I think for most of us, we head into work on Monday and and it's not like we're bringing the supernatural experience. We're bringing this mundane, I have to go to work experience rather than I'm going to change the atmosphere of my work environment. When I walk into Makai Coffee, I'm going to let people know that there is a risen king by how I love and treat people around me. That when I walk into the school, I'm going to live in such a way that they can't help but notice that I have Jesus in my life. That's what God's looking for. How many of you would love to to tell a story that says, yeah, after I was there a year at that school, there was joy at that high school. That God did something so profound that God's grace was on it, that there was joy in in all of the co-workers, with all of the co-workers. What kind of story is your life telling? I look at Stephen and I look at Philip, these ordinary guys doing ordinary things, and they both have a chapter dedicated to the work they do. I wonder if, you know, Acts 28, the way, or Acts, the way it ends in chapter 28, is kind of, it doesn't end, it just continues. And the point is, we get to continue it on. I wonder if God's going to use some of you to write a chapter in the book of Acts. What would it say? If your life was a story, what kind of story would it be? Is it empowered by the Spirit? I'm going to close with this, but I just want to close with Philip. I love Philip because he's such an ordinary guy. For me, it's really helpful because I deal with all sorts of fears and insecurities, and I recognize how ordinary I am. And to see an ordinary guy do the things he does, it just gives me hope. Right? This isn't an apostle. This is just a volunteer kid who becomes a city evangelist. I love that. And what's fascinating about chapter 8 is you get uh, a picture of the first converts and what the church outside of Jerusalem looks like. And the first convert is, is a sorcerer, right? He's coming to Jesus with tarot cards. The next convert is an Ethiopian eunuch, a guy who's castrated himself, dealing with all sorts of identity issues. Would you understand that? And the next convert is a guy named Saul, who's a terrorist, killing the church. The church begins with a guy holding, counting the stars and holding tarot cards, a guy who's struggling with identity and a guy who's radically opposing the church. You think that gives us some hope for the type of church we can become? The type of church you are? So, a couple of closing points. Um, hopefully you're excited about this as I am. I just gotta, I'm going to just make this perfectly clear because this is all I wanted to say. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to full-time ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've, said, if you've said yes to him, you are called to full-time ministry. Wherever you are matters. Write that down. Point number one, last point. Wherever you go, wherever you are matters. Because, go as a kingdom participant. Go as a restoration uh, a person of restoration. Go as, a, as a, a heralder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go wherever you are matters. You are called the full-time ministry. Your job, your family, your neighborhoods. Everywhere you go is important because you bring the seeds of the gospel with you. You're called the full-time ministry. Jesus wants you to steward that life he's given you. And second, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to serve his church as a church. Period. 
And I, this is what I really wanted to say to us, is that um, we all come from all sorts of Christian backgrounds, most of us. Some of us don't come, and that's a great thing. But we bring in baggage from our personal experience with what the church is supposed to be and what it's not supposed to be and all sorts of things. And I just want to let you know, here at the garden, if you follow Jesus and the garden is your home, you are called to serve the bride of Christ here at the local church. If you don't agree with me, there are other churches, but if you follow Jesus, you're called to serve his bride. Jesus died for his bride. You can serve his bride. And I know this is hard to hear, but we, have, we live in a consumer culture, an individualistic culture, where it's you are the center of your world. And I just want to let you know, Jesus is at the center of the world. Jesus is at the center of the world. And for us, there's no such thing as me, myself, and Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus and not be a part of a local church. I'm just delivering the message. <laughs> So I'm not going to put any implications on you. I'm simply going to say, if you follow Jesus, serve the world and serve his bride. You with me? All right. So I want to invite you into full-time ministry, into full-time service into the world. But most of all, I simply want to invite you to tell a great story with your life. Shall we pray? Jesus, we thank you so much. I do thank you, Lord. I thank you that you thank you for the gospel. You know what? Let's just wait for a moment. Just invite you to close your eyes and just sit. And if you're new to our church, we, we believe that the Holy Spirit is present always and sometimes when we create space for him, he'll, he'll minister. And I do want to pray for some of us here this morning separately from the message. But let's just wait on the Holy Spirit for a moment. And what that means for me is just close your eyes um, and just invite the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Some of you might feel uncomfortable about this. And um, when you come to church, we worship a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so many of us come from a background of worshiping the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And I just want to introduce you to um, the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you just minister to us freely now? We just invite you. Pour out your, your spirit on us. <laughs> From the mouth of babes, praises to God, right there. <laughs> Lord, um, we just invite you to, to minister now. I want to pray um, for those of you that the word freedom uh, just means something to you today, that you just feel like you need freedom in your life. I would love to pray for you this morning, invite you to come forward. Uh, I want to pray for those of you that need to say yes to Jesus as the main story, um, that your life, doesn't, you've never said yes to Jesus or you've been living a different life. And I want to invite you this morning to make a, a commitment to following Jesus. And asking him to kind of redefine the life that you have. Um, Those are two people. I'm going to invite you to come forward in just a second when we all stand. The third thing I want to pray for is identity issues. Um, I just want to pray for those of you that are really struggling with your identity. And it's, it's impacting relationships all over the place. I'd love to pray for you. And lastly, so there's fourth, that's the third. Fourth thing I want to pray is um, just a release of ministry. 
I know God's going to take care of the church and getting kids volunteers and all that stuff. We need, we need those things. But I feel like God wants to release some of you to, to ministry. Um, and I just want to pray for you. So let's stand together. We're going to sing some songs. I invite our prayer team to come forward now. And if any of those words were for you, would you just come forward? And we're going to continue to worship. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.